the occupation is huge. Its impact is in every Palestinian household. And in that space, you're watching farmers and families trade and produce um, some of the most incredible products in the world and doing that against such uh, difficulties and such oppression. Hello and welcome. I'm Shiza Shah, your host of Reinvision Business and co-founder of Up Effect, a crowdfunding platform resourcing organizations shaping a benevolent economy inspired by justice and ethics. If you're new to our work, over the last decade, our team has enjoyed spotlighting organizations at the forefront of advancing financial equity, conservation, and economic empowerment. We're now deepening this work through our Reinvision Business podcast to dive deeper into what models are working and shaping the next economy. This series will highlight the emerging need for responsible trade that uplifts communities frequently left behind. In each episode, we'll invite thought leaders to deconstruct our current systems and with their help, we'll amplify models that are re-envisioning business. Together, we'll unearth a blueprint for an economy redesign. This was a conversation that moved me to tears. The constant struggle that Palestinian traders and producers experience is a pain that no one should ever have to endure. One organization that has managed to find success despite innumerable challenges is leveraging the power of fair trade to uplift Palestinian farmers and families. I'm joined by Taizir and Ate from Zedun, an award-winning fair trade social enterprise which ethically sources fine foods from Palestine including fair trade organic extra virgin olive oil and zaatar. Dazir Abbasi has been working with Zedun since their founding years. An advocate of the power of fair trade and supporting community resilience, he grew up in the Salfit district, which is an area highly dependent on olive cultivation, and one which has seen much of its rich agricultural resources confiscated through the construction of illegal Israeli settlements. In addition to his work with Zedun, he has worked with an international NGO on advocacy and development projects in Palestine for over 15 years. Atif Jodri co-founded Zedun in 2004 in direct response to his visits to Palestine and work volunteering with Palestinian human rights agencies. Atif has an embassy in conflict and development from SOAS and co-founded the UK chapter of the International Solidarity Movement. Until recently, he was also a trustee for the anti-poverty NGO War and Want and remains chief executive of Diversity and Ability a social enterprise working to highlight lived experiences of disabled and marginalised adults and co-supporting others to flourish in higher education and the workplace. This was an incredibly enlightening conversation and I'm sure so many will benefit from listening to their story. Hello, Tessir and Atif. So wonderful to have you here. I am feeling just incredibly honoured to have this moment to just get to know a little bit about the work happening at Zetun and, and the wonderful work that you're both engaged in. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. So let's start with how you two met and what was that defining moment that united you both under a shared mission and shared purpose and the wider team that led you to start Zetun? We met through a, a wonderful kind of accident in a way, in some ways. Um, in the sense that we had a tour guide who was showing us around, but he's um, had to leave early. His daughter was unwell. And Tazir came, who was his best friend, and Tazir came to to meet us instead. Tazir had been working, doing some incredible work, really trying to showcase what was going to happen when the 
when the wall was being built, the separation wall, and what that wall was going to do. And he was, in essence, showing us how it was going to affect families and villages. Myself and along with other colleagues who also co-started Zaytun, we gathered and had the chance, really, to start a conversation in a village where Taizia took us to. I just uh, received this phone call from uh, my friend uh, that Atif mentioned. If I can uh, join them in order to continue because he had to leave. So we had uh, to uh, organize uh, uh, like in an emergency situation a meeting with uh, some farmers and so on. Uh, in a village in, in, in the Selfit area. And uh, then we found them. Uh, we When, when are, we arrived, we found them just gathered and uh, we started the, the discussion. Uh, the, the topic was on, because the idea was uh, even not clear to me what is uh, going on exactly, but in general, there is uh, a good intention to try to start uh, uh, selling the Palestinian olive oil in the UK. When we had, when we, when I just translated, because they've made an introduction, Atif and Heather and uh, who was with us, they just made introduction of themselves and the purpose of why they are here and so on. And when they said, <laughs> we would like to um, just uh, buy some of your olive oil and try to sell it in the UK market. Actually, uh, to three guys uh, stood up and they just left and then followed by another two, three guys. And so they're saying we're going for prayer on time of no prayer in a, a communist community. The thing is that they just left the room because they did not believe on that. They did not believe after all of these years, there are still some people who would want to look at their situation and try to help. They just uh, pretended that they are going to prayer. I figured it out, actually, and uh, I sort of asked, I think, if we do then, because we continued with the people who stayed in that room to discuss the situation and how it can be possible. There was really few people who stayed. And some of them just asked if we do this and that, because one of the discussions was about the quality of the olive oil, and they have to do some uh, work, extra work in order to have better quality that is accessible to the market, especially we're talking about uh, uh, the European standards of food and so on. So then they were uh, wondering if 
if we do this, if we follow what you're saying, will you uh, guarantee that you can uh, sell or produce? Of course, at that time, it was just a discussion that just started. So none of us would say, yes, let's do this. And it's certainly uh, we will be able to to sell it abroad. So this was the first moment of the situation. It was a challenge, a challenging moment uh, among the partners, actually, because it's uh, a partnership relation, and if you want to look at it in, in terms of business, and a solidarity relation, and also uh, to have challenge with that at the first, at the very beginning, it give it gives you an, uh, an a sign that uh, the process, the whole thing is really challenging. But uh, because there are needs and uh, there are people insisting on making living, on a trading, this was the main uh, elevator and driver to uh, have a success story of what they have done. So basically, the initiation of the success starts from the production. Once the production is in equality that is accessible to uh, international market, then we can say that the rest of the, the processes and steps will be eased, will be uh, easier actually. So then uh, the, uh, the work continued and then there was really success from five farmers to more than 5,000 farmers and so on. Uh, we're now talking about working with the organizations and companies in Palestine who produce different products uh, and who are uh, and farmers cooperatives who are able to generate income and to access markets with uh, recognized uh, labels with the produce of Palestine with recognized certificates of fair trade and uh, organic and uh, uh, also ethical trade. So it's, uh, I mean, whatever on for how long we can talk about it. We're talking about details of 16 years of all of this work so many farmers were not really sh we wouldn't re was were just in the disbelief that that some internationals would try to take this on and then we ourselves we hadn't sold olive oil before we couldn't guarantee that we could bypass the occupation or the wall that was going to come uh, and yet we were working to, to try and figure out how do we get a fair trade mark on an olive oil how do we work with farmers who 
culturally and socially have been working as cooperatives through sharing an olive press, etc., but in some ways had competed against each other in different villages. Now, how do we get them to work together to make sure that they can trade and pass these different barriers at such an international level? It, it's important to realise that people coming from overseas who want to do those have good ambitions and good in, intentions, but there are real reality checks to learn from the producers of the products, be they olive oil or dates or, or, or whatever. Say, look, this is what it takes to be us. This is how tough it is. It, and, we, and you are asking us to change under those conditions. How can we be sure that you can do this? So when the farmers uh, did, didn't believe that this was possible, um, Tazir convinced everyone to come back into the room, which was really something. And for Heather and I, who is also one of the founders, we realized that it's our job is to come back with lots of more answers as to some of the questions they've asked, but also to recognize how tired people are of, of having ideas, but not necessarily committing to them or not realizing just how deeply embedded Palestinians are to their products and their produce and just how tough this challenge is actually going to be. It's lovely to talk about this, you know, 16 years afterwards to think back to that time and know that it was a struggle for many people in the villages to believe and it was a struggle in this particular village that was going to lose, you know, 60% of its olive trees. And yet we did it. And I think if it wasn't for Tyson's dedication to, to get the farmers to come back in and our own insistence to come back with lots more yeses and not mismanage anybody's expectations, but just come back and say, look, here's what the learning we're going to do. Here's how we're going to figure out how to do this. But we have to move fast because... The occupation is huge. Its impact is in every Palestinian household. And in that space, you're watching farmers and families trade and produce um, some of the most incredible products in the world and doing that against such uh, difficulties and such oppression. So it's a great story that Zaytun, after 16 years, can tell these things and share these things and even recognise that we ourselves had some learning to do and we ourselves had to commit to such a project that would convince farmers who have every reason to be cynical to, to come back into a room. It truly is a really wonderful story. And I'm only listening to some pieces of it now. But, you know, you as a team are the ones that have um, endured the struggles and the challenges that it may have presented along the way. And pushing through that takes a certain kind of resilience and determination um, but also a vision for what the future and the outcome of of such um, steps could lead to for Palestinian families and and farmers. And I'm I'm curious to understand what does the purchase of a zetun product mean for a Palestinian farmer? What does that impact look like on a day to day basis? It's a great question to ask, and I, I think Tazir would do that far more justice than I, as a Palestinian farmer and a producer. I'll just say, just to add to it, is recognize that people matter. You know, that when, when you are buying a product, it, you are connecting to people's heritage and history. And this is something that goes far beyond the, the, the occupation, but into the roots of Palestinian identity. And in this case, farmers who just want to live like any other farmer anywhere else in the world. It means that people can feed their children. It means that they can go to school and 
go cultivate education and support and all the things that provide choices and these are choices that every farming family anywhere in the world deserves beyond uh, what uh, atif said uh, it means for uh, the palestinian farming family uh, once they are able to generate income it means that they are able to sustain their land to keep their lands uh, cultivated uh, able to uh, expand on their production and this is a protection by itself once the land is cultivated and is productive and is accessible uh, then it prevents Uh, the Israeli settlers to confiscate and to just uh, settle in it and to uh, claim that it is an an uncultivated land and uh, uh, we have the right to be wherever we are because this is the increasing uh, where uh, you find settlers who just arrive to a place, uh, to a piece of land, to a mountain just put their uh, outpost settlers comes just and uh, uh, start cultivating the palestinian lands and claimed that it's their own and they have the right to be here and slowly they expand on these outposts and it became uh, a set it become a settlement and it become even a farming agro-business industry of the settlers and so on. So uh, this is what goes beyond not only uh, making, which is the purpose, is to support the resilience of the people in their, in their lands and to enable them to make income and to have a fair uh, uh, revenue of the produce uh, in addition to uh, keeping the the heritage and keeping the culture of of food and so on and what are the different steps involved in harvesting those goods and then getting them to customers like myself that are sitting on international lands The customers or uh, the end users, everyone who buys a Palestinian product of Zaytun, they just uh, get the final, you know, the final produce. The journey of the olive oil bottle from the tree uh, to the shelves in your kitchen is very long and very complicated. It is even politicized in a way uh, because uh, for farmers to access to their lands, it's a suffering uh, moment, uh, especially for those who have their lands isolated by the barriers and the, the separation walls and so on where they have to get permits, most time they could not. Uh, if it's not behind the wall, 
then maybe it's around uh, the bypass roads of the settlements and around the settlements so they get harassed attacked by settlers uh, but uh, there is no other way uh, we have to access to to stay or to keep going uh, harvesting our uh, goods our trees our fruits and so on and then after this uh, to be it will be taken for whether if it's olive oil to the breast house uh, straightforward because uh, day by day the the breasting uh, take place uh, as the quality and the standards uh, to be assured you uh, farmers have to breast in every day what they collect so after breasting they store it in uh, certain conditions then it will be delivered uh, basically sold to the uh, packaging and bottling uh, facilities where uh, they day by day record what they uh, deliver and then by the with our middle of the season end of the season get there uh money for the these sales in the bottling and packaging facilities also there are processes uh of equality control and so on once they are packaged there is another journey <laughs> of the transport and the export exporting is from the israeli ports uh, there is no Palestinian uh, ports, neither uh, land or sea, but all is uh, Israeli ports. So uh, then there is, because when, when we say the packaging house, meaning it's in the Palestinian territory, and in order to ship it, it has to go to the port. A Palestinian vehicle cannot access to Israel. So it has to be taken by a Palestinian vehicle to a certain point, the checkpoint, and back-to-back policy. There is a policy called back-to-back. It's only special in Palestine, where a Palestinian truck and an Israeli truck meet and reloading from this truck to another in order to travel another one hour or something like this to the port where uh, customs, security clearance and so on processes are really uh, very long and very frustrating and so on which uh, also put conditions on the shaving and on the packaging wise of the product for instance a pallet of of olive oil has to be only one meter or less to allow the the security check and the simply the sniffing dogs to uh, be able to get over it to get uh, on top of it and so on 
So all of these processes are very costly on the producers because in the end, uh, the price of the produce should be affordable to customers. So once there is a cost of a production involves elements that has not to, nothing to do with the cost of the production itself. It has to do with other factors, such security factors, uh, delivery factors, and so on, which are equivalent to actually the cost of the production itself. So then it's shipped in the sea once it's released from the Israeli port to reach uh, the destination. And the sea journey is usual, is an international uh, sea journey, so is usual one. And then at uh, the end, uh, once it's in the ports of the UK, then there is a process of uh, storage and warehouses, and then the distribution and all of this. When normally you'd send a shipment, you would just, you, you know, you would not just, but you would be essentially loading it up onto containers and bringing it across. But here there's so many different impacts of the occupation where different uh, Palestinians themselves cannot use roads that are roads that only, whilst they're in the West Bank, only settlers can use those roads. And so those roads aren't, aren't able to use a truck. And there are roads that are facing checkpoints and and bulldozers and and really making it difficult to get across but then when it is able to get across it has to be stripped down and reset again um for people who can use the roads be they uh israelis palestinians who happen to live in israel but it has to go to an israeli port and then from that port it gets into the uk um so there's lots of different hazards that make it very difficult for the product to reach the UK, and and that's the everyday life of Palestinian communities and the struggle that Zaytun has to make sure that when they look at a bottle of fair trade olive oil from Palestine, they understand that it can't be compared to a European oil, not so much just in taste, but also in the idea of how difficult it is to reach this reach reach here. Um, so often we say, look, behind every bottle of olive oil, uh, there is a Palestinian family. You know, there's a family trying to trade and use roads and access and organize themselves and build cooperatives and businesses just like any other family. The same applies to the dates in the Jordan Valley, that and it's an area surrounded by settlements. And it's very difficult for for that area, particularly, and it's you know, for them to be able to for Palestinians to be able to trade there. But but Zaytun, with the support of so many listeners today and and people buying fair trade. Have helped make this real and, and not just a concept that people can't easily believe in anymore, but that is something that's now reached more and more shops and supermarkets and and people to connect to the story and even go to Palestine to learn what's really happening there beyond the kind of stories they hear and how they can learn from it and hear it from from families and people like like Tazir and others that they stay with when they're when they're living there. Thank you, Tazir and Atif, for helping us understand the everyday struggles of Palestinian farmers and traders just 
you know, I, even though I'm sure it's far deeper and far more extensive than what we're discussing today. And I imagine just sharing and highlighting some of these issues comes with some kind of risk as well. And I just generally understand that, you know, building a business centered on Palestinian goods and employment is not an easy endeavor, given the political complexities that impose numerous challenges on local trade, like those that you just described. And I imagine there are some periods where there are some significant violent events that take place where trade is severely impacted. How does your team come together in the face of such events to help each other to continue marching forward and to continue this work? Zaytun was born out of, you know, the idea of many heartfelt people really getting behind this. So there are other co-founders as well as myself who had given a lot of their energy and heart to not so much just to Zaytun, but before that we're working with International Women's Protection Services or Peace Services or international solidarity groups and working really to to witness the occupation, to stand in solidarity with Palestinians and their struggle for to, to, to for justice and what that justice needs to look like. And in the support of that in nonviolent direct action and making sure that when Palestinians are protesting, as they've got international right to do that, that they're just not killed or shot at. Um, and we're seeing it every day, you know, issues that are now no longer even really making it onto news. But the attempts of people protesting in Gaza peacefully and what happens to them. Ambulances that are not making it through checkpoints and people, often women giving birth on the road and people not making it through to the hospitals that they need to. So these were, were everyday things that international solidarity <clears throat> activists and people and, and communities saw and this was a, a call out that was happening for a few years before Zaytun. Um, part of that call out was to recognize that Israeli citizens had also been part of that call to ask for global witnesses. This came in many different forms and Palestinians and civil society and so and so on and this this continuation we can see in the people who are part of the boycott and disinvestment and sanctions and how that is an international position just as it was in fighting and holding a position against apartheid uh, and and the regime and the apartheid regime at the time of South Africa, so those things are really hold true and they're kind of steadfast to Zaytun, beyond understanding it's just that, that that it's a business, but also it's an act of justice and and kindness to buy fair trade and to connect to families, and so I guess to answer the question is. A lot of what we saw, however traumatic, also rooted us to the urgency of Zaytun. Uh, it's not without. It's not an accident that Zaytun was was really pushing itself in two thousand and four to exist, because that was the time when we were facing the urgency of the occupation war, and what that was going to do to the livelihoods of Palestinian farmers and families and villages and communities, and how incredibly incredible it was going to be that in this lifetime we were going to see another war bigger than the Berlin Wall that was going to separate people from their from their families and extended families but also just strangle their economy so I said Zaytun was part of that act of resistance and it was an act of saying of solidarity and 
to say, look, that Palestinian livelihoods matter, that people matter, and that whatever shocks us, if Palestinian civil society is calling for more internationals to participate and learn about the occupation, if it's asking people to come as witnesses to it, and if it's asking for people to connect to that story by buying Palestinian produce and buying it through fair trade, then I suppose there's a lot of healing attached to that too. Um, and I can say that maybe as someone who can use that language because I'm in the UK. Um, and I think it's important to sort of, I don't know what that means in terms of Palestinians who cannot escape it every day or cannot cannot even switch it off from TV. So I would invite Tazir to really add to that. But I just want to say, I suppose it's not just about a commercial business that has to stay viable, and which it certainly is, and sustainable, and it's exciting because of what it means. But it's also recognising that for us to make this work for us, we weren't business people. We were people who really just deeply cared. For uh, us as Palestinians, having to... It's, it's not an option. We, we do not have options. We only have this to continue with what we have to uh, make life a little easier than it is and uh, to have people uh, aware of what is happening to to our life in daily basis and so on and this is i think this is why uh, we we believe that uh, zaytun as an ethical a fair trade uh, organization have to also uh, contribute and to work hard on making sure that the Palestinian voice is heard in the UK uh, by having the produce. Uh, people who want a decent living and life and they are keen to uh, exchange of what they have, precious produce they have, and it tells the story of us. So we are normal, want to continue being normal and exchange with people and uh, offer uh, of the best of what we have simply um, and this is uh, what we're doing since the beginning and we will keep doing you've clearly had a very challenging journey um, but you've obviously pushed through a lot of those difficult moments and have gone on to enjoy some wonderful success in the past decade I remember when I first saw your products in Oxfam, I was just filled with glee, like a little schoolgirl in a candy store, as I was just so thrilled to see a fair trade Palestinian product being proudly displayed uh, in a very well-known um, store that is um, on most high streets. And I'm wondering what has been the response 
like from the social enterprise and fair trade community? And are there any key partnerships or events that have accelerated your work in some way? For many people listening to this, they will sort of share their own Zaytun journeys as well of how where they first saw it, why they started buying it. Sometimes it was well, we had an incredible amount of what we call regional distributors, people who were knocking on shops and going to them saying, this is an important story. You should stock this olive oil. This is, or you should stock these dates and or, or, or our maftool and things. And, and for others, it was saying, I need to see this available in, in my area, but it's not. And they themselves chose to sell it. And they'd order in bulk and they would contact their friends and, their, and, and suggest trying to distribute it. So that was a seismic story because why that matters is that is people using their feet and their hearts to go and tell Zaytun's story in different places. So that relationship is really critical. Often you can think about big organizations like NGOs or supermarkets and thinking that they are uh, fundamentally very important. And that would be true because, of course, they are. You know, Zaytun's available in, in Harrods now. So all of these play a big role. Um, and. and it's in, it's, it's in many different shops, particularly organizations that support fair trade, like Tradecraft, where you can order it online. And people that some of your listeners might buy from Wheeler Books Farm on Abrahams. And on our website, we show you all those places. But I think personally for me, it's going to be a mixture of things that really change that. Oxfam selling it across the country was really, really important, really important, because that's where more people saw it. But it, it was also about people recognizing, I can't see this product here. So how can I get it there? How can I bring it to, to me so I can see more people buying it? Myself, I live in Brighton, and it's very common for me to go into a Brighton shop, and my kids have to suffer this all the time. And I see it in shops, and I get emotionally moved by it. And I get excited to tell its story, and realizing it's it's not unusual to see Zaytun being sold in shops here in Brighton. But my kids have to stop and they sort of groan looking and going, oh, Baba, you know, you're going to tell the story of Zaytun to a random person working in the shop. <laughs> I suppose it, it's because it, there were so many things that made it difficult for Zaytun to exist. And it really took more than just its co-founders. It took the sustainability and the steadfastness of Palestinians to, re, to continue and lead our light on that. But it took so many people in this country to... To, be, to choose to make sure that they could connect it to it and that fair trade really mattered to them and the choices that they did when they bought things. I almost feel like organizations that decide not to go down the fair trade route because of the challenges and difficulties should probably look to how Zerdun did it. And, you know, you might be uh, able to create some kind of playbook around how to build an organization of this nature against the backdrop of occupation and against the backdrop of war and just the everyday struggles of Palestinians. There is so much to learn from the work that ha is happening at Zetun and it's just an incredibly inspiring story in it. And it's so great to see that, you know, you, you're still going strong 10 years from when you first decided to set up this organization. Just shifting gears a little bit, I know that Zetun also has a very strong recognition for the role Palestinian producers play in the fight against climate change. And I understand, you know, the occupation presents unique challenges in this fight. Can you please elaborate on the injustices that Palestinian farmers endure 
because of this and what this means on Zetun and, and locals? The climate change uh, is actually has its effect uh, on the Palestinian producers, on the Palestinian product, on the Palestinian life. Uh, more than 70% of uh, the Palestinian occupied territories is uh, rural areas. And uh, Palestine is, is known with its uh, diversity of a product, diversity of climates, diversity of uh, even uh, geo geography. So uh, within uh, one hour drive, you move from a mountain to a desert to uh, a sea, uh, a coastal areas, and so on. It, I'm talking historically. Uh, this is Palestine. One hour and a half, you cross from the Jordan River to the uh, Mediterranean. You go through the desert up to the mountain, then to the coastal. So this is why it is very diversified with its products. And it is used to be... um, I mean, the season here are very uh, equal. So you have a good winter, a good summer, a good autumn, a good spring. But nowadays, there are mixes of seasons. There is waves of a drought. Uh, there are floods comes because of heavy rains in different moments and so on. This fluctuation of of the uh, stereotype of the climate has created really severe issues uh, to the farmers who has less ability to respond to the climate situations to the different situations, actually. So because of the uh, restrictions, because of, uh, let's say, the ability and so on, Zaytun works with a certain percent of the Palestinian producers, which is not the majority, because in the end, Zaytun is still a one organization doing certain work enabling farmer to uh, be able to sustain production, to make living, to trade uh, rather than being receivers of aid. And uh, also this, which is in the end, not all the farmers, of course, and not the majority even. So the majority are suffering from the inability due to the incubation to find means to respond to climate change. 
access to water, to natural resources, is very restricted. Most of the uh, agricultural uh, produce uh, production and uh, agricultural lands, agricultural, uh, let's say, agro-industry even, water is essential. So when there is a restriction on accessing to the water resources, the Palestinian water resources, meaning that the ability to respond, for instance, complementary irrigation for trees in the drought times, uh, this cause harmful impacts on the uh, products, on the trees, on the environment. So then the mitigation also, something we try to uh, uh, push toward it on how farmers can mitigate uh, the, the effect of the climate change and uh, the drought and so on. They traditionally use ways that have been inherited for many years, I mean, centuries, in order to mitigate the heat waves and protecting the, the produce and protecting the fields and the, the, the trees from uh, the waves of heat, from the drought, from the flood and so on. If uh, there is different situation in uh, the Palestinian lands, then the ability will be maximized, definitely. Uh, if there is an, a safe access to water resources, the ability will will be there to respond to the climate change, uh, especially um, when uh, there is uh, always been uh, issues of fluctuation of productivity, uh, normal fluctuation, but uh, this fluctuation is increasing and uh, the it's, there is a severe uh, reduction in the productivity of the agriculture in general, especially the olives, uh, because, uh, for instance, uh, the olives needs really uh, cold temperature in winter, that is in certain times, a moderate uh, heat in summer in order to be normal and to have a normal fluctuation. But uh, since a few years, we are realizing the increase of uh, the situation of productivity issues due to, uh, let's say, uh, an unsystemized uh, uh, weather conditions as normal, normalized weather conditions. So this is, uh, this is of course, uh, the climate effect, uh, change effect, and uh, 
the ability with some farmers we work with they are able to to respond because they are able to generate income and to have fair prices and they are able to invest in their lands and to protect it and they are able to utilize alternative resources and so on but for farmers who are still uh, to be reached actually uh, still suffering from such uh, conditions it's remarkable how much we can learn from centuries old traditions and practices which just you know goes on to illustrate how culturally diverse communities have been at the forefront of fighting climate change long before modern practices and it's just such a shame that because of the impact of western society on climate change it's those same communities that are experiencing the brunt of the effects and it's just there's just so much to learn from from these communities in particular I understand that you also organize a number of trips to Palestine to allow tourists to observe some of these practices and to inspire knowledge of the local food and region. Are there any moving stories that you've encountered during these trips that have validated the work of Zetun? Just to, to be here in Palestine and to tour uh, the country to be on the countryside to join the farmers uh, with what they do uh, at that moment uh, to join uh, the farmers uh, on just uh, making food cooking uh, traditionally uh, to join uh, to have uh, the taste of the Palestinian food and the Palestinian culture uh, it is a moving story as a whole sharing um, a food uh, that is produced just in the uh, garden of, of the house uh, of vegetables or whatever um, picked also in the garden of the house cooked in the garden of the house just getting it into the dining table that is basically some wood from some trees uh, hearing the stories just underneath of an outpost there with some settlers occupying the area that you cannot you see your lands that is there you cannot go to uh, share it to harvest it to pick your products from there and just being here trying to make living with what left of the rest of the land. Uh, this is one story that is uh, always happening because there are some places where you just have the Palestinian community here and the settlement just on top of it. What separates them is a fence and uh, their lands is just located, the Palestinian lands is just located 
behind the fence and they are not able to go to it unless there is a soldier open the gate for them when it's allowed by the officers so these are the stories you have uh, i mean traditions and culture of food and culture of socializing with people especially people who are guests coming from outside and then sometimes you cannot offer much because you only have this much so it is this is uh, what we experienced during the past years of the tours with people coming from uh, the UK and other countries actually they were joining the, the 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 tours and we would be staying uh, with families uh, supporting them and learning and exchanging and uh, of their situation and so on and uh, uh, also the there are times when we have uh, people comes and stay with farmers to go to go with them in their fields to uh, be present maybe because they would be attacked and when there is an inter international presence with them it reduces the action of the settlers not the reaction then so much thing happens in the intimacies of these things where people see palestine i myself i did a master's degree in political conflict nothing prepared me for palestine you know i was riding and helping monitor ambulances and, and try to get to hospitals and nothing i academically studied prepared me palestine changes people in so many ways and a lot of folks who join us a tour are obviously committed to justice and the story of palestine but there are others who come who may be a bit like you know there are two equal sides they're not understanding that they're not children or that these are not equal sides and you see those changes happening then when they realize this is about occupation this is about water this is about olives and trees and families and villages and when you start seeing when they start changing to understand look this is not about equal powers this is not about misunderstandings this is about people with a lot of power exercising that power on people who are powerless and the ingenuity of those people who are facing such loss and how they survive is a lesson for everybody yeah absolutely you touched on it but there could be an argument to support the united nations and world food programs on looking at how you know fair trade products from other regions can be done you know even um fair trade cotton for example in afghanistan and and, and so on and so on what are the lessons as they tune can teach but also what are the lessons that Zaytun has learned you know and and how do people deeply connect to those by going to Palestine by being part of seeing how the produce is made by planting olive trees by helping farmers access those olive trees and indeed telling the story when they come home and sponsoring olive trees and and joining and joining in the work yeah and, and just as someone as an outsider we're we're absorbing a lot of this information through articles, through videos, through social media. But 
I often end up in lengthy debates on the potential impact of business versus charity. And I'd just like to hear from you as I feel you're better placed to answer this question than me. Why do you believe trade is such a powerful means of supporting Palestinian locals versus just simply donating money? Because uh, we are active people, one thing. And I think uh, the Palestinians being uh, involved in businesses and the trade uh, since always, I mean, all the time, since the Canaanites, we were trading with Egypt. And we were trading Egypt, meaning the empire of the pharaohs. <laughs> so this is what I can relate it. And uh, recently, the aid concept is something uh, is imposed on us. And trading, because we have, we are producers. We have lands and we have diversity. And we are able to produce food and to trade it with uh, other people, other nations, other communities, and so on. So, in order to be to remain active on this, we have to keep trading. We have to keep producing. We have to uh, keep uh, connected to our heritage and to our land and uh, to our future, to our hope. With trade, this is possible. With aid, this is impossible because if you have generations uh, normed to have aid, then this will definitely uh, kill the initiative spirits. And the initiative spirit, once it's gone, it's easier for uh, the politics uh, to be, let's say, empowered. And for the occupier to have more control, and not only to have more control, to implement the plans that they are always prepared, and so on. And we are uh, demanding a normal life. We are demanding a future with dignity. We are demanding freedom. And uh, having these demands, it contradicts with being just people are inactive, are uh, passive, and so on. And um, I'm here not necessarily saying that or accusing the aid itself but 
Sports. I'm saying trade rather than aid because there are intentions of the uh, policy makers of the occupation of the of the global colonialism to uh, turn us from active to passive. Trade not aid is a story of justice and, and as he's touched on dignity and pride and heritage, but it's also recognizing that you know that you don't control a population if they're working autonomously and independently, um, and you encourage and you foster a future, you know, by job creation and poverty alleviation or or anti-poverty in the case of what's being forced upon Palestinians. So. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it, it has to be a position of saying this isn't about charity, but it's about connection and what that connection can truly do when it's heartfelt and showing that we want to not just save Palestinians or rescue them, but really learn what, what it is that we're being denied for so long about what Palestinian history has got to say, and what Palestinian heritage has created for the world and continues to do so despite the constant denial of what that heritage gives us. I really love that. Thank you, Tazir and Atif, for helping us learn more about your important work and just some of the ways we might be able to support Palestinian locals. Where can our listeners get their hands on Zetun products and learn more about this work? If you've been moved by this or curious by it or, or even irritated by it, <laughs> I hope not, but but look at the Zetun website. Join join our newsletters. Have a look at where Zetun is available. And as I said earlier, where you see it is not available close to you, be that change, be that shift. Try and say, look, what, what is it that I can do to help support this project uh, and support this trade initiative? What is it I can ask of Zaytun as a critical friend to make it better? And what is it that I can do when I'm standing perhaps so far away from it where I may not be that open to understanding or learning as well as I could be? And perhaps I could just simply connect to Palestine through perhaps to listen to a podcast like this or to go and to talk to a friend uh, about how fair trade really works and why it's so important. Uh, and one day that curiosity can take you many places, um, sometimes even to the West Bank or even in Gaza. And I hope that curiosity is something that becomes part of your change and your connection to Palestinian livelihoods. Tazir, Atif, thank you so much for joining us on Reinvision Business. Okay, thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. A special thank you to Rohan Single for editing this episode. To ensure you are notified of future conversations on impactful strategies and organizational practices, please subscribe or follow Reinvision Business on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or something else. If you enjoyed our episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your community so that others can learn about the incredible work that so many people are stewarding to build a better future for us all. You can connect with us and learn more about our work at www.theuppereffect.com. Thanks again for listening.